We did watch Alligator last night, though. We watched Alligator. Well, it's funny. Alligator, i never seen before, and I know it's been kind of, I feel like, discussed a lot of late, maybe? Alligator, for those who do not know, this is the banter section of the show, um, it is a creature feature that's basically kind of, I, I don't like saying a ripoff of any, but it's kind of a ripoff of Jaws. Is what I mean, that to became be. a whole, whole, whole ass thing. genre. Yeah, you know? but like it's, it's, it's not even just Jaws, but like it's, like a city detective story, yeah. uh, but you're but instead of a serial killer, you're chasing a, a gator, a, ga- a gator, <laughs> um, possibly in Chicago, possibly in Missouri, but shot in Los Angeles. Um, and yeah, it stars Robert Forrester, who is this detective in the city, and a alligator is on the loose in the sewers. That's and it's like a similar to Jaws, this massive alligator who's just like bigger than what should be possible yeah um and that the, what they explain in the movie is they never fully go straight for but the, they kind of they make reference to it enough where it's like the pharmaceutical company in town that is testing these drugs unlike stray animals on stray animals are possibly uh enlarging them basically yeah. making them bigger oh that's like a side as, effect, as a side right? effect. Yeah, yeah. and, so and then the gator is eating those animals and, and thereby eating by those proxy animals, down, get down here, and by proxy, getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> and so, don't flush your your alligator I mean, down the toilet. I mean, the funniest thing about it, because wasn't that like a, that was like a whole like uh, like a uh, you know urban legend, right? That so, you know there was oh, alligators, alligators in the sewer because, yeah, yeah, yeah. because somebody had fl- you know flushed their their gator yeah. down. I mean, the, the funniest thing about last night was when I mentioned that when I said to people, I was like, "You guys never saw gators at the fa- at the state fair." Uh, and realized that I was super southern when I said that. Yeah, that's that. the most Alabama thing I think I've ever heard you say. I mean, you, you, I mean, I, so I never, I, mean, I was in Lexington, but we didn't really have like state, but, but my mom vividly would tell us about a memory she had in, in Pikeville mm-hmm. where they would walk over, they would walk over like it was like a glass, you know, like it was like something yeah, you yeah. see at an aquarium, but yeah. there was gators down there. Like you would just look down and see the, yeah. the gators. It was, it was yeah. not, it was not that, uh, high tech. Uh, right. it was, it was like a dude and, and it was probably a yeah. family, but it was a dude and they had, they created, I, I, this is either a memory I have created in my head or this is exactly what happened where they had like kind of a small, like tank, like very, like not that, like very shallow yeah. and you kind of walked up and you could watch and they would have alligators there huh. and a guy would like feed him and like just have a show, have an alligator show and it would just be at the state fair. I mean, Southern state fairs. Yeah, no, no. Now that I think about it, the one in Louisville had like a like a reptile room yeah. or, or something. Yeah, and, and, but I don't know. I just don't. And I, maybe it was just small reptiles, but yeah. to my small self, it was like that's an alligator. <laughs> but gator. I'm pretty sure it was an alligator they had. Yeah. Which you just think that's just traveling alligator at a state fair, which is just yeah. That thing's probably more pissed off than yeah than any gator, any gator that exists. But like yeah. yeah, the state fairs like, I mean carnivals and stuff. It's all, they always fascinate me, and and the way that. I think they fascinate you as well because we've talked about them yeah, off oh, the yeah. show. But like it's uh, the way I like the way the, again the way mo- like the way movies can portray carnivals. Like there's yeah. never like well, I mean it, it's like an offshoot of you know entertainment. You know, yeah. it's like uh, I mean it's not it's an offshoot. Lo- it is it's, entertainment. It's yeah. the lowbrow. Yeah, but like, I mean like form. but back then I was like you know they traveled around because that was like the only thing you could do yeah, like yeah. vaudeville or that you know like. Yeah, <laughs> like and, like you, you, and you see it in things yeah. like I mean, Nightmare Alley is yeah. like one, the, both Nightmare Alleys, uh, yeah. that movie Carney. But yeah, I was. But I was, you know what's scary is like those rides. They'd bring those things in on on those trucks, man, and just build them. And like I don't know yes. how none of us ever got injured. You know, 
Yeah, they were. Yeah, there, there was the ones that were always closed, like at yeah. our place. Oh yeah, they would break down all the time. All the time. But you remember that? Uh, it was like a UFO, and it would just spin super fast, yeah. and you go up and down. Never did that. You never did it. Never did that. I one. mean, dude, I can't imagine how many people have have thrown up on that. On that. Yeah, thing. like I mean, we stopped going. Like yeah. our state fair, like our for one, our state fair got kind of dangerous. Like yeah, I mean, it was by dangerous a certain, by a certain point. No, 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 not dangerous by the rides. Oh, dangerous oh, by the, the people clientele. that went there. Yeah. Is the thing. <laughs> Like I think by the by the when I was in high school and stuff, and I'm not sure, but that was yeah. what I always heard was that like you, you start having a lot more like gang appearances uh, there that I think actually would carry over to like yeah. school. I feel like there was one time something happened at the state fair, which then resulted in like guys who were not from our school. I think I was already graduated. Oh, that, that all started. That's always what starts it. And and they show up at our school and basically snuck in in the morning and like caused a riot in the cafeteria mm. to where it like ended up in like tear gas or, or, or mace basically macing Jesus everyone Christ. and like and like multiple arrests happened if I'm not mistaken. And I was there. I think that I think I was there. I think it was like my freshman year college. And at that point, like I still like lived near my high school and like still had friends there, so I knew about this. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think I was there. I mean, there's there's at least one mace incident at every school I went. Like once in middle school, like once or twice in high school. There was a mace incident in your Ma- middle school. You had mace incidents, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a fight at at a at a pep rally freshman year, and then we did not oh, yeah. have another pep rally until senior year. Yeah, and then I think there was another fight in our senior year pep rallies. Yeah, <laughs> pep rallies. No, yeah, we had we had we had a mace <laughs> incident in in middle school. And then I think what the hell once did a kid twice, do in middle school to get maced? It was just like a big fight, and um, did they bring out the mace. Like twelve hey years old, thirteen yeah. years old. <laughs> that gives me cred. I guess I went to school. You got mace. Everyone's like, yeah, no, what the I, hell? yeah, I. It was because I remember because I a lot of people. If you've ever been in a school with mace, it's like especially it's not it's not a massive school. It's it's a decent number. It's not like a super small, but it's enough where like if someone gets maced on one part of the school, that carries over. Oh, that shit spreads man. to other parts yeah. of the school, and you just like almost tasted it the rest of the day, yeah. basically. Um, well, that just stays in the. That's also just stays in the air, yeah. man. I mean, like, I, I didn't go to a dangerous school, <laughs> but it oh, was who Mason then was but, it? Like, you had like a security. Oh, we had, we had like yeah. cops. We yeah. had cops that were like, like. I don't know if we did in our middle school. Now that I think about, it. I know for sure we had. Oh, in we high had, we had, yeah, we had yeah. cops in middle school, and 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 we had two or three in high school. That, like they would. Oh no, we. I mean, we had them in high school, but those yeah, guys they, were they, useless. They the only thing off. they they cared about was when they brought the drug dog in to smell the the. Yeah, we never had that. We never had that. We never had that. Luckily, I mean. I remember this guy got caught with a gas mask that he was going to turn into like a, you know, like a bong. He was going to yeah. turn into a gas mask bong. He got caught with that, got caught with like a bunch of weed and like, yeah, yeah. paraphernalia. Uh, because he, for some reason he had that in his trunk on the day that the drug dog was there. It, but this thing was like, it was like an open secret. They're like, oh, the drug dog's coming this week. So it was like, everybody was like, oh, okay, we're not going to put anything in our cars. Yeah, we really, for some reason he was. He, again, weirdly, we had drug dogs in middle school and in high school, I feel like. That's crazy to me, man. Well, I think because we had lockers in middle school, we didn't have lockers in high school. We had them in high school, but nobody ever used them. Yeah, no. We, I, it was like it was like because that was the first day of school. It was like everybody got assigned a locker, but it's like we were like, well, I don't, I don't need it, so I don't need. It. Oh no, every, <laughs> no, yeah, we, I, middle school, we never, but yeah, high school. I think, and then now in middle school that I went to, they no longer have lockers because it was just. I mean, what's the purpose just, of lockers now? Well, like here's the thing: I was I was terrible at like looking at what books I needed. Yeah. Because that point, this is I'm just, this is a, this banter might be too long for this, and I might cut some of it. Yeah, no. But worries. like, <laughs> my parents will know this is that like. When you were at the locker, and at the end of the day, you're thinking, okay, what all do I have yeah. to do for homework? And each class, I had six classes uh, in middle school. Now, one, like, probably P or whatever, but 
four or five classes where each one you had to have a notebook for. So my locker is like jam packed of like notebooks and books. And I think to myself, well, which ones do I need? And I just say, oh, I need this, this, for this home. for home. Oh, and then I get home and you're like, shit, we're I like, yeah. shit, I forgot this book. Yeah. And can we go back? And it's like four or five PM or later. And like, we didn't live too far from the school. So either we had to get the janitor lesson so I could go to my locker. <laughs> um, I think on one occasion, I think I forgot something at my high school. I think I lost my ID or so, oh, ID God. or something. Like a driver's we, license? We had, no, no, like a school, ID. school IDs yeah, yeah. or whatever. It was something, it might have been middle school, but I think whatever one time, I know my dad and I went there and there was no one there, but we saw that a door was cracked open He's and we got in. into the school yeah. to get my books. And, this, and this, this happened. on the air? Huh? No, <laughs> one, this on the air. Yeah. no one saw it, but like, uh, yeah. yeah, it happened multiple times. Uh, I, and I, like, I have a pretty good memory, but when it came to high school, when it came to like homework, I would just like, because you're trying to make a quick decision. Like, okay, what all do I need? Yeah, I mean, you don't have time, man. You don't you have time. Catch the bus. And but, so... But dude, that was the crazy thing too. Is like there was no purpose for lockers because you had like what, like five, ten minutes between class. You didn't really have yeah. time to like sit there and be like, and oh. Like, I need. And because again, I was a public school, we didn't yeah. have enough books. We're like, well, same. What would be what would be better is that you have a you have a book that's in the classroom, like underneath your desk, which we have at some classes. Yeah. And then you have the book you had you could keep at home. See, they need a- actual state funding for that. Yeah, exactly. We didn't have <laughs> they that. need enough money um, for that. <laughs> but speaking yeah. to the a person that comes from the state, that's forty uh, seventh in the nation. <laughs> Uh, of public schooling, so I, I get it. I get <laughs> Alabama's it. Alabama's probably not that high anyway. Um, but enough about that. I'm Brand Sparks, and I'm David Glenn the Fourth, and this is the Nation Podcast. And this month, we've been talking about movies on movies, and we've talked about kind of how a lot of the time Hollywood they enjoy making these films about themselves, and a lot of time the big kind of overarching theme is the question of is it worth it? Is what we all do worth it? Is making movies good for you um does it cause depression and sadness yeah, in your how does life? it affect your how personal it, how life how does it break you yeah. is the thing um we talked about sunset boulevard and kind of the the idea of the fading star uh with uh norma desmond but then kind of the what the hollywood can make you a, turn into a cynic um and crush your hopes and dreams um we talk about more in Living in Oblivion, where it's this more indie New York scene, where it's just kind of the actual making of the movie and the fun part of that, but how it can become a nightmare. Eight and a half, it's kind of the more look at the artist and the idea of how art, how you can use art as a way to go th- or, or uh, uh, explore your emotions and, and things that have kind of haunted you in a way. But still, I think at the end of the day, with all three of those, the question appears of, is it all worth mm-hmm. it in some way right and today's movie is a little bit different because in this kind of genre of movies on movies there's kind of multiple subgenres of things where it is that kind of look at the hollywood industry a look at the actual making the movie a look at the artist and there's also the idea of putting a thriller set within this movies on movies genre and when looking at blowout brian De palma's blowout it's kind of one of the top ones maybe the top one and you yeah. can correct me if i'm wrong of like thrillers within this kind of world. Cause I know like eight millimeters, no one Nicholas Cage. Um, these films that kind of, I mean, that have the kind of, I mean, you, you can argue to, well, I was like, lethal weapon has that kind of porn, like adult entertainment aspect as this like nice guys, but you can set like a thriller within the world of like yeah. movies. But I mean, I think what makes this unique is it follows a sound, you know, a sound. Yes. Course. This is, this is more of the, which act- is also just rare within the movies on movies genre in yeah. general, you know? Yes. Yeah. And we're seeing kind of the, um, 
the like the tactile nature of making movies with yeah. this funny enough. Uh, and that's you know uh, underrated element of, of movies is is not only like onset audio but post audio. You know, yes, and the mixing of <laughs> it all. That's where you want. That's where you want to put your money. So exactly, because because it's the idea of like it's always the thing that everyone says is like you are more likely to watch a film that has not great cinematography, but it sounds good. than if you would watch a movie that has great cinematography and bad sound, like bad sound is more annoying to people. And it's it's not even necessarily that like an audience member will place it. It's just something will be feel off to them. Yes. But blowout, it is this interesting mix of thriller and, political yeah. conspiracy I mean, it paranoia. Is, it, it, I would argue it is a political thriller. I mean, we yeah. can talk about that when we get to the we get, yeah, we get more genres, but yeah. But yeah, it deals with all these kind of everything, but then you yeah. just have this character of Jack Terry played by John Travolta, who is this sound mixer yeah. for B-movie horror films, yeah. and he gets caught up in this political conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Blowout, for those who do not know about Blowout, Blowout is directed by Brian De Palma, released in 1981. And it stars John Travolta as Jack Terry, who's this, as I said, sound designer for these kind of schlocky horror films. But but Jack Terry, before that, he actually worked for the FBI or just law enforcement. Does it actually fully say he, he says law enforcement? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so he works in law enforcement as like he would help kind of tap, like put a wire on people who are yeah. they're trying to get information about criminals. Um, and that went poorly, as we'll discuss as we go on with kind of favorite scenes. But like that went poorly, and he got out of law enforcement and basically has exiled himself into making yeah. bad horror films, and usually like nudity and violence and all these different things. Uh, and and done in Philadelphia, low budget. Yeah, but it's clear that he the, the passion's gone. Passion's gone. Yeah, yeah. He just does it just for the paycheck. But right. he's really good at what he does. Yeah, yeah. Because he shouldn't be doing this job. Right. On this level, well, even the I don't know if that that yeah, guy's the director. Ca- or, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like he's like I don't know why you keep doing these, man. Yeah. Like why are you still here? <laughs> like you're way better than this. You're better than me. Like complaining about you having the same wind sound over yeah. and over again. But one night after being told by the director that he needs a uh, director producer. Um, he, needs, he needs new wind. He need, just, well, he just, needs yeah. new wind, but yeah. yeah, he also needs a yeah. new scream for a right, female right. character who's getting killed in the shower. And that is honest. That is a terrible scream. Like that <gasps> original scream is it's so horrible. Bad. And I just like love even the cut. for like a knockoff slasher movie. It's, it's bad. A, yeah. And I just love the cut to like a um, Travolta just laughing yeah. at it. He was like, "What'd you? Why'd you put that there?" He's like, "You put that there. <laughs> you hired her. I didn't hire her. Um, I didn't hire her for a scream. I didn't hire her for a scream. Yeah." Um, <laughs> But Travolta goes out to get all this. He's like, I've seen, I heard the same wind over and over again. Go get me new wind. He's like, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll get And apparently, you new wind. De Palma said like that was a like an actual thing that happened. Yeah, uh, I'm, like, I'm getting to that down. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know you did some research on this. Let's skip ahead for me. Okay, you can you can chat in there. Um, but uh, yes, it, it was that's what kind of did inspire it. And he, but but Jack goes and gets wind, and he starts getting kind of other saw, sounds of like a frog. Uh, uh, riveting an owl. He, an owl and then like a couple the kind of funny part of a couple she's like well, who's that guy over there on the bridge i think he's staring at us because yeah, he's not a peeping tom he's like a no, listening what would you call that yeah, yeah. so that means a listening version listening of lou as they yeah. say um no um but uh he's he's recording these sounds and then all of a sudden he hears like kind of the sound of a, of a car driving down the road at a kind of a top of a high speed and a noise occurs and then right after the noise happens uh, the car crashes into the into the fence and into the kind of the water below, into the river below. Um, it sounds like it could be a blowout of the tire. Or, as Jack soon realizes, he thinks it might be something else. He thinks it might have been a shot that caused the tire to 
to deflate and 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 cause the driver to uh crash into the the water below um after this he's he's at the hospital and they kind of tell him hey forget what you've seen because essentially the person who's in the car he rescues this woman who's in the car but also there's a man in the car that dies and he is a future basically presidential candidate who's in the running to be the next president basically he's currently i think beating the president in the like in the election uh, or in the in the projections in the polls yeah in yeah, the polls yeah. and so but they don't want um the his kind of group and campaign don't want the press to find out that there well, there was a woman in the car yeah. that there was a woman who was not his wife yeah. who was a prostitute and the a possible prostitute and the I think it's I don't think she's not a prostitute just a she's woman not, but they, they yeah we can they talk kind about of say it. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's 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 yeah. it's it's a woman in the car that was not yeah. his wife right um and Travolta's like I know what I heard like no that he was there he know, was there yeah. I saw like I, I can't just and he tries to forget it right and soon based off all that he doesn't forget the woman ends up like kind of seeing the woman now and slowly but sure quickly really the conspiracy begins to kind of take mm-hmm. hold and it becomes a real thing that affects both the lives of jack and sally um and yeah it's as it stars uh john travolta nancy allen as sally it stars uh, john lithgow as burke who is the guy who shoots the tire and then eventually is the one essentially stalking mainly sally but also jack as well uh there's also dennis france plays manny carp who is the one who who takes photos of the accident that he will later use to possibly as part of a blackmail scheme that goes a different way. Um, and yeah, so again, directed and written by Brian De Palma, produced by George Leto, cinematographed by Vilmo Shigman, the legendary Vilmo Shigman, uh, edited by Paul Hirsch and music by Pino Donaggio. And again, released in 1981. So what is your history with, with blowout? David, uh, I mean, it goes back to sophomore year of college again. Uh, yeah, I went on like a whole diploma. This is one. This is one of the first Criterion's I bought, and I don't know oh, if wow. it was a blind buy or if I had sailed the high seas to, to watch it first. But uh, I, I, I mean, I loved it uh, since the first watch. But this was definitely in that like I, I went like on a whole diploma binge um, because yeah, I mean, I, I uh, and and this this is I still consider it his his masterpiece. But at that mm-hmm. time, I, this was definitely the one that stood out the most to me. Um, but like I had seen Scarface and stuff like when I was younger, but it, I, I went on like I you know I just watched a bunch of his movies in a row, so I like you know watched Buddy Double, Dressed to Kill, um, Raising Kane I think was in that mm-hmm. thing. Um, I'd seen Mission Impossible obviously when I was younger, but yeah, so it really stood out to me, and I, I've, I've seen it countless times since. Yeah. And again, I th- I think this is his greatest work. I think it kind of you know we can continue we'll continue to talk about that throughout I'm sure, but I think it kind of culminates in everything that he that he yeah. does was so well so. Yeah, Brian De Palma, I came to, and still going through some of his classic films, but Brian De Palma, I think I came to later, well, I'll say this, I came to later knowing him as an auteur. Mm-hmm. Like, I had seen The Untouchables early on. Uh, yeah, I'd seen that one. But that's like, it's it's the kind of mainstream one that he did, and Sean Connery, and Kevin Costner, and- Still a great Garcia. movie, though. Great film. Yeah. De Niro, is, uh, yeah, as yeah. Capone. Um but that was kind of one I can't end Mission Impossible, of course. But I really didn't know De Palma much as a director. And I know one of the videos you sent, uh, who was the guy that sent that did that, the blowout retrospective for this? The great blowout retrospective, we'll cover a lot of the stuff that he'll cover too. Um, but he just, he does other great work as well, uh, who's on YouTube. And his name is, oh, George Dahl is his name. George Dahl. George, Dahl, George Dahl's Film Journal on YouTube. 
He has a great retrospective yeah, on just, Blowout. I mean, it was a really well-crafted video essay. It was, yeah. Well-researched. Um, but Blowout, so I didn't, he talk, talks about the Palmas. He's, he kind of feels like the, the, uh, the, how to put this? The, the uh, silent part of the silent student of the, uh, or silent kind of peer of the, the, the films. Movie the movie brats. I feel like that's, that's such a cliche thing to say now. It's like, he's the most under-discussed, you know? But it's it's still kind of true. It's like he should be in the con- like when we're talking Scorsese yeah. and Spielberg, he should be in that conversation. I think it's because yeah. and he, and and, yeah. and, George, and George Dahl on his, on his video kind of talks about is that he never really had that big one, yeah. that big film well, that heard changed Tarant- the industry. Have you ever seen that video with Tarantino talking about this? Blowout? No. Oh, so okay, so I'll do good, quick quick tangent. Uh, yeah. He so, so De Palma. I think I don't know if he had just finished Blowout or he was in post, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, this is gonna be the one. This is gonna be the one that like makes me you know makes yeah. my name, and he goes see raging bull and he, just from the opening frame he's like ah oh, shit man there's always scorsese you know no matter how good you think you are there's always scorsese mm-hmm. um and yeah you know so like, you're not gonna be raging bull but it i think i think this, like i said this is his masterpiece and i think i think he should he was right to be proud of this he should you know, yeah, I, yeah. I agree but like it's like at a time where jaws has happened because 81 jaws yeah. has happened a few star wars before. has happened star wars has happened and coppola you know coppola's done yeah. godfather one and two yeah. and yeah. apocalypse now yeah. at this point conversation kind of a lesser uh discussed but, but also a masterpiece and, but and also in line and, with influence on, line with on this yeah. kind of the continuing of the paranoia and i'll say we'll talk about this a little more is the idea of blowout being part of this paranoia kind of saga of films in this kind of 70s into into early 80s and right as George Dahl kind of puts it, like possibly the ending of the like traditional new Hollywood. Yeah, because everybody goes genre. to um oh the paranoid genre. Yeah, yeah, but I mean even like one of the like last new Hollywood films, I'd argue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And before everything kind of takes over right. with more yeah. mainstream things, because everybody kind of says it ends with Heaven's Gate, but there were a few that kind of had a similar yeah. similar uh, mindset. You know. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, but Blowout being kind of this uh falling in line with kind of the conversation by Coppola by Al Bakula's The Parallax View. Even all the presence men mm. in a way. Also influenced by blow up, uh, blow Antonio up, Antonio's blow, blow up, yeah. up, which we'll talk a little bit about today. Um, but yeah, De Palma's one that I found more later, uh, moving out to L.A. and began to kind of a lot of video. He's he's one that video like cinephiles or cinephiles really love of because of his visual style. Mm-hmm. So I was introduced to like Body Double and Blowout. Um, Raising Cane was a little bit later. Femme Fatale, I think, was just recently. That I heard like, "What oh, was last? That's one you gotta watch." It's kind of the more underrated. No one talks about from 2002. Um, and th- this is one I found at the video store and was completely enthralled by it. Yeah. And it was a. I agree with you that I think it is his his greatest film that I have seen so far because there are a few that I have not seen. Yeah, Scarface. Uh, yeah, Scarface. Yeah, it's okay. You can call me out. I haven't seen Scarface. You can you, you feel free to not listen to the show ever again. Um, <laughs> it's on. It's on my stack of movies over here that I borrowed from David. I'll watch it at some point. It's one that just somehow slipped the cracks. Oh, I am line. jealous that the first way you're going to see this is the 4K. 4K old, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah baby. Oh, uh, but no, no, no. I, 
you know, there's like just certain directors that you really like vibe with their style. Yeah. And that's not to say there's not like story points in his movies or or moments that kind of rub me the wrong way. Yeah. But I just think I really, I just, it's not only that I appreciate his style, but I just like, I just love watching his movies. Like I just love yeah. how he shoots things. Yeah. I, I think that's why a lot of directors love him is because of his visual style. Yeah. But there, but there's also like, there's more to De Palma than just like, like visual, if it yeah. was just him making like yeah. thrillers, like he'd knock that out of the park. But he's also has this kind of satirical bite to a yeah. lot of his movies that I think uh, is important to, to discuss. Yeah. And as I say all this, I know Thomas is not he 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 I won't say he's not a fan of De Palma. He is a conflicted fan of De Palma, where he's like, "There's some I really get him and I love what he does," and then some of them just like, "I don't know what he's going for." Like so, mm-hmm. he like loves Fan of the Paradise. I think he was very kind of uh, mixed on Body Double was a big one. Well, I th- I do think Body Double is kind of a messy movie, but it's, yeah, it's, it's it's you know it's very entertaining and like yeah. again he's a, he, there's more on his mind than I think just making a straightforward erotic thriller. So I agree, yeah. and I think there's more De Palma than just a Hitchcockian. Uh, uh, pro or Hitchcock protege, or not even protege, but but copier. Yeah. As people well, I mean, say. I think because he started being started early on, like being very much influenced by Godard, yeah. and I think that attitude kind of carried over because you know he was you know controversy after controversy, and he still was like uh, you know just the rebellious figure, like he just didn't seem to care. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the Palma always, if you're talking about movie brats, I feel like the yeah. Palma was always the cockiest of of, sure. of the group, and it seems like even within their interactions, right? You know, yes. like you know the famous um, how he reacted to Star Wars, yeah, <laughs> and you know we we can thank him for the title crawl. Uh-huh. <laughs> Allegedly, Allegedly. I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he he he. Some say he wrote the title crawl for George because he felt so bad of how mean he, mean he was to him, or he just came up yeah. the idea for title crawl. But he is one I think, as we've seen. Well, I think when looking at his at again his peers, he's one of the ones that fell by the wayside. The 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 quickest, I guess you could say, is that Lucas kind of went out on his own terms with with making yeah. some But Wars. I mean, he still produced the. Indiana Jones trilogy. Indiana Jones yeah, that. Yeah. Spielberg has continued to make movies. Right. Scorsese, Scorsese has continued to make movies. Yeah. Coppola is coming back. Coming back, yes, but has been kind of hit or miss for a while in terms sure. of the public perception and critical perception of him. Um, but he, but he, they've never reached the same heights they had in the 70s or 80s when someone like Scorsese or Spielberg have con- somehow continued in some Which way. Which is Maybe not in terms of financially as much with you know the, the recent kind of underperformings or failures of West Side Story or The Fablemans, two, I think, of some of his best films in the past 20 years, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but De Palma just hasn't really had that, and so I think sometimes that is why he might not get discussed as much. Yeah, he didn't. He hasn't had like a post-millennium masterpiece. No, know? no. It's like, I th- Femme Fatale is kind of considered the last really good film yeah. from De Palma, no offense to his later films, um, some of which I have not seen yet, and that's 02. That's 20 years ago, and people just haven't really connected with any of the films he made after that, or it's just a streak of bad luck a lot of the times or, and just sometimes style is one of the things that can be, that can come out or become outdated very quickly and then can come back around at some point. So I think, and also you got to think about like how thrillers have evolved. Like Fincher's kind of taken the, the mantle of, of like being a slick stylish thriller filmmaker, you know, I agree. I agree. Um, that's a lot of discussion yeah, on the sure. intro to, to, to Blowout. We'll talk more as we go on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's go into the history of Blowout uh, with this because it's a little short. I guess. Well, no, it's short, but we'll, we'll get into it. So, Brian De Palma entered, the, entered into the 1980s with a box office success with Dress to Kill, this erotic psychological thriller starring Michael Caine, Angie Dickinson, and Nancy Allen, was about a New York prostitute who witnesses the brutal murder of a high-class New York housewife. 
Nancy Allen playing the the prostitute, Dickinson playing the housewife. Dressed to Kill would gross thirty-one million dollars at the box office against a actually it was thirty-one point nine, so close to thirty-two against a six point five million dollar budget. That was a big hit back then. Yeah, it was. In 1980, it was met with critical acclaim, but like many of De Palma's films previously and after, it was met with backlash, specifically from feminist groups of the era, uh, because of its portrayal of women in the film. Uh, There's also a lot of transgender kind of pushback because of a certain kind of uh, uh, aspect of the movie. And like many of his films, he was also criticized for his direct references to Alfred Hitchcock and other filmmakers and kind of copying Psycho was yeah, the big thing. especially the case with Just to Kill, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was while doing the sound mix for Dress to Kill, as kind of David said, that De Palma came up with, came up with the, movie, the idea for his next movie. He recall, recalls while working with his sound editor, he noticed that he kept using the same sound, specifically the same sound of when that he had been using in previous films. So De Palma got kind of got upset and told him, hey, go record new sounds because I'm tired of hearing the same old sounds in the films we keep making together. This resulted in him writing a script called Personal Effects, which would later morph into Blowout. After finishing Dress to Kill, De Palma had his pick of projects, being with the success of Dress to Kill, also the success of Carrie uh, a few years before, about four years before, um, and The Fury he had done in 78, which was also well-received, or for the most part. Still kind of mixed, not as big of a hit, but still enough where it kind of showed what he could do on a, on a larger scale. Um, De Palma uh, had a ch- was choosing between either Flashdance, which <laughs> later went to Adrian Lyne. I did not know that. Uh, yeah. Now I'm picturing a De- I've never seen Flashdance, but now that I'm trying to picture a, a De Palma Flashdance. It'd be crazy. <laughs> um, a movie called An Act of Vengeance, which would later be turned into an HBO movie with, with Charles Bronson and uh, uh, Ellen Burstyn, I believe. Ellen Burstyn? Yeah. But, Interesting. But his script, for, his script for personal effects, those are kind of the three projects to choose from. He would decide to make personal effects, but he would make he would move the setting of from move the setting of the film from Canada to Philadelphia, his kind of hometown that he was. He wasn't born there; he was born in New Jersey, but he grew up in Philadelphia. Uh, the the film's producer George Lido, however, hated the title, so he forced De Palma to change it to Blow Out. Um, editor Paul Hirsch would later say he thought it was a bad decision initially because De Palma had already been under so much scrutiny for how he paid tributes to other films, and now people were claiming he was ripping off Antoni- Antonioni's popular film, Blow Up, a movie that, would, that did inspire De Palma's blowout with kind of its similar premise. So Hirsch felt like, you're already being kind of criticized for copying people. Maybe Lurie just changing a word <laughs> of the title to make it so close to the other one is not the smartest choice, but that's what came out came that way. For the film's crew, De Palma would bring on several trusted collaborators he'd worked with before, including director of photography Vilmos Zygmunt, who had shot De Palma's Obsession, the film's composer Pino Donaggio, who had worked on Carrie, Home Movies, and Dress to Kill, and the film's editor Paul Hirsch, who had done Hi Mom, Sisters, Fan of the Paradise, Obsession, Carrie, and The Fury, so a lot of De Palma's early films. De Palma would make changes to the script early on, including adding a sequence from another project he had previously worked on, for Jack's backstory of working in law enforcement, De Palma lifts a scene that he had written for his Prince of the City script, a movie that was initially going he was going to direct with Robert De Niro, but Cine Lamette would soon take it over when the studio didn't want to wait around a, a year for De Niro. Um, Hirsch said he would make a few suggestions to the script, but De Palma would not take any of them. Uh, one of the big ones Hirsch suggested was that for the film's final chase, instead of just a generic kind of the, the Liberty Bell parade or whatever, De Palma, he, he suggested De Palma use 
kind of a more distinct location where you had sounds that Jack could hear and kind of use that as like, use his knowledge of sound to figure out where they were at. Oh, interesting. So more of like a boardwalk where he's like hearing bells or yeah. voice and he can use it as more to track it down. And I don't disagree with that. Is yeah. the thing? Yeah. As much as I love the final chase, that's I, actually a final, cool idea. It's a good idea yeah, to yeah. kind of like to yeah. use, cause to kind of pay off, uh, Jack's knowledge of right. sound. I mean, he does he does use that because he's you know at the end when he's trying to find her. But I but like yeah, it's using that throughout just, the whole cha- yeah, yeah the chase whole chase. So he kind he's kind of like right. he's waiting for clues that yeah. they're saying right. But it could be he could hear other things sure. and almost like very like a conversation like thing where you're trying the conversation from Coppola. You're trying to pinpoint specific elements that he can with his right. ears. Then he tries to do earlier on when he's trying to pinpoint the difference between the blowout of the car and the shot. And right. it's two noises, not one. So it could pay it off. So there that is. Uh, initially, De Palma saw this film as a small thriller with a very small budget, close to around $3 million. Uh, but he did think that Al Pacino would be good for the lead role of Jack Terry. But he would soon cast John Travolta in the lead role. Travolta was just recently coming off of Urban Cowboy, uh, which I do like Urban Cowboy. Um, with Deborah Winger, uh, it was not quickly well well received, uh, but was a box office success. Kind of, it was. Have you seen, I haven't seen. I don't think you've seen Urban I Cowboy. Seen Urban Cowboy is kind of. It's it's. They're trying to make it Saturday Night Fever, but for country and western music. Oh, interesting. So he like not my not my uh, not, your cup, not your cup of tea. Um, no, he goes. He goes. It's like in Houston, Texas. He goes like, like urban like a, 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 a very. It was a rise of country music uh, in the turn of the the decade, basically. Um, but it's, it's good. I don't, I don't hate it. Um, and Deborah Winger is amazing in it. Uh, anyway, but Travolta is being kind of criticized for not taking more adult roles. It feels like with Grease and Saturday Night Fever. I think he's kind of still in this kind of teen angsty part of his career. Yeah, so he was only like 27 when he made this, right? He was young. Yeah. yeah he wasn't that old. Crazy. So Travolta is wanting to kind of expand his horizons as an actor. And so he likes the script and he wants to do it. And so, Travolta is cast as Jack Terry in Blowout. And then Travolta lobbies De Palma to cast Nancy Allen in the role of Sally, Travolta's co-star in his other De Palma, earlier De Palma film, Carrie. De Palma, was, De Palma was hesitant to cast Allen because he was dating her and would soon marry her during the film's production, and he didn't want her to be known for only acting in his movies. But he soon realized she, he thought she was the best person for the role, so he cast her in the film. He would also cast Dennis Franz as Manny and John Lithgow as Burke. Franz's character is a blackmailer who uses Sally as a way to get blackmail material on politicians. He takes photographs of them in bed or out together. And then Lithgow's character is the film's kind of main antagonist, uh, Burke. And Franz had previously worked with De Palma on Dress to Kill and The Fury, while Lithgow had worked with him on Obsession. Both of them would later appear in other De Palma films, Franz and Body Double and Lithgow and Raising Cain. So with the cast and crew he had used before and a location that was his hometown, De Palma began filming Blowout. And that leads us to favorite scenes. So, David, what's one of your favorite scenes? The opening, man. Um, All right. It's 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 just so funny to see him direct like a schlocky, you know. Yeah. And, and even in that in that interview with uh, Bombach, he's kind of laughing about it, like how, ridic- oh, yeah. how ridiculous he's the like, scene is oh, with yeah, the like, them is, shooting that scene. He's like, the rest <laughs> of the shoot was kind of tough, but that was pure yeah, fun. yeah. Um, yeah, because like he was like, we just kept adding ideas, like yeah, the you know the girls dancing and like all the girls this, dancing, yeah, yeah. the yeah. the making out but, or having sex. But like, what I do find fascinating is like this came out in eighty one, so it's like mm-hmm. it, like slashers. You know, I mean, they had like made their impact, but they, it's still like relatively early on in the slash. Yes. The fact that we're already kind of 
making fun of it is is, yeah. is interesting to me. You know, but I think also yeah. De Palma is is directly making fun of critics and how they view his work. Sure, is that I think someone put it. It might have been George Dollar, might have someone else. But they kind of said like. I think the palm was aware, like, oh, you think I make schlock? Here's how it would happen. Right. Here's here's the difference. Yeah. Like, I can do schlock, sure, but that's not what I've been doing right. for the past 20 years. Like, yeah. I've been doing something a little bit more artful than what you're giving me credit for. But here's what you think I'm doing. Yeah. And I can also do that. That's what it kind of feels like to me. <laughs> and and if you're not aware of that, it can kind of just feel kind of like, this is a weird way to start a movie, but like it's like, it's like everyone kind of pinpoints when the when the when because it's it's a a long kind of point of view shot point classic of view like shot. slasher like yeah, yeah slasher slasher trope and it's when the, when the guy guy's character is going into the shower oh, yeah. and you make sure you know because shower is like written on the door and you know what's gonna happen if you know De Palma is like it's gonna end in someone getting stabbed in the shower yeah. because it happens in Dress to Kill it happened and, he, and he's pulling from Psycho it's he parodies it in Fan of the Paradise uh, with Beef getting like uh, not stabbed but like the uh, um, the Phantom uses a plunger or whatever mm-hmm. I'm like he use, he's done this scene several times and so he's making fun of it again I think uh, it also doesn't, is, he doesn't embody double oh yeah yeah <laughs> I think it also like is important because it sets up the whole voyeurism of, of, of the movie right yes yeah. and even and, and that's a that is a big key with this movie is the idea of perspective with the camera is that even when we don't know, we're not seeing a perspective of a character. It feels like the camera is a character inside the cliche where it's a character. The camera is a character itself, but like there's moments where it's like, it's, it, it creates the feeling of you're being watched. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not actually being watched, it's, it's like, I think the big one is when Travolta is putting, the the tape and stuff in his ceiling and it's this shot from the from the ground level looking up to the window and kind of like watching him as he's putting it in so you're outside the space and it feels like it could be a the antagonist watching him but you never see that Mm -hmm. but you you yourself you feel like he is being watched and in turn, you should feel like you're being watched in some way. It's kind of the feeling it, it yeah. kind of prompts. Well, it adds to like the paranoia aspect. Exactly. That's it's in your brain realizing that he he's always being watched. He could always be being watched. Is the thing. Someone is someone is aware of what he is doing more than he is aware of them knowing. Is the thing. If that makes sense. That's yeah. a weird word sense. Um. But yes, that opening is is wonderfully done, and it shows kind of the the funny nature that De Palma can have. Yeah. With filmmaking is the thing. And then it ends with the big. Ah, well, yeah, and then the setup of the movie, right? Like you gotta yeah. find the screen. So yeah, and then and that's literally the. the yeah. Then that's why I think is so brilliant about this movie, is that he pays that off so well. Yeah, I mean, it's a really tight script when you think about end. it. Yeah, and and we'll get into spoilers here. So if you haven't yeah. seen Blowout, um, is it streaming? It was in, on. It's on HBO Max. It's on HBO Max. Yeah. So you can see it on HBO Max. Um, so I said before I get into the big kind of spoilers here with this, um. But it's a great payoff when he has to use like Sally scream for the end. Um, but we'll get into that more as we go. All right. We can um, uh, again, I uh, and then we'll talk about early on in this movie the way he uses kind of certain techniques that, like the split diopter, which yeah. basically allows you to have something in the background and focus, someone in the foreground and focus, just a little bit kind of a a blurry line down the middle that separates two. For those who don't know, it's like. You're basically putting a specific piece of, of of focal glass in front of the camera that allows you to see everything 
in focus. Nothing's really blurry in the camera. Yeah, but it does create that line, so you have it to hide a, that in a frame. It creates a line, yeah. and, and you want to try to hide it in some way so it's not just kind of blurry line. And why the Palma is so good is that he will find, he said, you need to find a hard edge or something that kind of yeah. does it. And so you'll see that a lot where it's a wall or it's a piece of paper. Like even. the famous Lithgow holding the Hold photo. photo. Yeah. yeah. Or um, it's the TV. I think, I think the, the, right. the crazy one is the opening earlier one when he's basically giving you exposition, but not just exposition for the movie, but also exposition for Travolta as a character is the thing. And that's just kind of brilliant the way it's so efficient. Mm-hmm. with how it does both yeah and i think he also uses the split diopter to to show when people are listening so he does it both with yes. lithgow and with with travolta yeah. there's one in the hospital yeah mm-hmm. um yeah yeah when he's listening to the when cops talking yeah yeah, yeah. It's a great shot yeah uh so i think it's because like usually people are like oh he just used the split diopter to sh- you know show off i mean we, i think we're talking about that before we get on air yeah. but it's like uh but it's like no no, no. here it actually has a specific yep. story purpose yep. you know so he does it very well yeah. he, he showcases it he it i think I'll say this here now, and I think it'll, it'll, it'll come back up in a quote later. When you watch a certain filmmaker work, I'm not saying they hit a point where it's the best film they make, but they hit a point where you see them like, oh, they're the master of their craft. Like they they fully have reached the point they've been striving for the entire yeah, time. Absolutely. Someone brought to me that like Last Crusade is kind of Spielberg's. We're like, maybe it's not the best Indiana Jones film. But it's probably the best one of his of the decade for him. Um, and it's not, uh, but when you watch it, what he's doing visually is just like this dude is playing with house money from here on out is what it kind of feels like in terms of his knowledge of the camera. And I think with the Palma blowout is that one for him. And I think it just so, ha- so just so happens it correlates with it being possibly his best film is that it is a top notch directed film and he's fully understood what he's been kind of striving for thematically and visually and knows how to get it now finally is the thing yeah no i agree that's my view yeah um but yeah what's another one of your favorite scenes so i do i do love the you know uh the whole sequence of him recording at the park leading up to the car crashing i mean because it's purposely perfectly sets it up like and it's building his character Mm -hmm. and then the car crash itself is 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 then it gets super tense, right? It's like, oh, he's got to mm-hmm. swim down there. He's got to save her. And the underwater stuff looks beautiful, man. Yep. And I, I don't know why we're not... I mean, I, Avatar 2, it looks amazing. But I don't know why we're not still shooting this stuff in tanks. Like, why are we still trying to do CG, you know? Like, I it think just, Black Panther 2 yeah. shot some stuff Oh, in that's tanks. good. That's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because, yeah, that Little Mermaid trailer did not... That does not look like real... I don't, I don't know about Sean <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I mean, that just... It does, you know what I mean? Like, you yeah, see yeah, the scene and you're like... I understand. Yeah. But anyway... It's, it's, that's the that's whole yeah. idea of, in yeah. general now of modern day film is that, like everything's in front of a green screen or CG space. And so even the things that should be at an actual apartment somewhere in New York and you can see the outside of it is because now if it's a bigger film, you have more money. Like, oh, it's easier. Understandably, it's easier to have allegedly have control of everything. So you put it on a soundstage, but you lose something sometimes when you're not in an actual space. Right. Is the thing because it allows you or it prevents you from having, I think I told this before, on the show recently is it prevents you from having accidents, which is kind of sometimes what makes your movie. Yeah, it's, the happy it's, accidents. It's the compromises that get you to where you're at that you find while doing it. If everything's so so perfectly created, mm-hmm. it's hard to do. Yeah, but it's just a very, it's a very suspenseful sequence. Yes, yeah. uh, and it's you know the perfect setup for the rest the rest of the movie. It is, and like I haven't seen Blow Up in a while, and I need to rewatch it. 
Because I didn't love Blow Up. Oh, I, I love Blow Up. Okay. But Blow Up, I've only seen it once. But it's it's more esoteric and more existential than this. Yes, yes, there's yes. like that, that, there's that thread of yes. him trying to f- solve what's going on in the photo, but yes. it's more of his like existential crisis. Yes, because the photo doesn't come until much later right. in the film, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When this, and this is, again, I was, it was almost a decade ago when I saw Blow Up, so I would, I would like to revisit it. Um, but it was one where I watched Blowout not long after. I was like, this is so much better to me. Like, it's just like... And I, I, well, think, I think they're going for different things. They are going yeah. for different things. Because I think De Palma puts everything right at the beginning because it becomes... Yeah. A, it's He's interested in a, a political conspiracy. Right, and, and it's interesting how the second half kind of turns, which we can talk about as we yeah. keep, keep going through the scenes. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, yeah. Um, I mean, but nobody builds a, 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 a suspenseful sequence like De Palma. You know? I, I agree. I agree. Um, and I have a few other scenes that I that I love. Let's so. go to your next one because I I have a lot, but I want to hear yours. Oh, definitely. I mean that flashback of of, of him explaining yeah, why yeah. he why he ended up where he is. I mean, again, perfect setup for a suspenseful sequence. Um, and then, like as he's realizing what's happening, mm-hmm. it's it's just like it, Travolta plays that moment so well, in my opinion. Yeah. When well, yeah, it's because in the scene is that the character that is essentially the stool pigeon he's fine he's he's being he's been wired to find out what kind of these criminals or mob is, is doing and travolta realizes that the wire that he set up uh because the guy is so nervous he's sweating it, a lot, is yeah. sweating a lot causing the battery to like essentially burn his burn yeah. burn his skin yeah. and the guy tries to he gets out to go to the bathroom uh to get the battery off and as he goes in one of the mob guys comes in and kills him, and Travolta is like now stuck with this guilty conscience of he's yeah. a man has died on his watch, and he is he believed that his talent as the at his job he was so good at his job that he he could say he could, he could help the guy and, and make sure he doesn't die. Yeah, but it goes an opposite way, and it's actually again a, a tragic flaw of Travolta. Yeah, because <laughs> he keeps believing that he could do it's like he can go get by on his talent to save someone, and that's not. The case. Yeah, and I think it also explains why he becomes so obsessed with this. Correct. It's like not only is this he's trying to right a wrong, right? Yeah, it's his potential chance for redemption, but also it's yeah. like him to prove to himself, oh, I still, you know, I can still yeah, do this. I can still do this. Um, I, I realized I did skip one of my favorite scenes. So that mm-hmm. right after the the car crash, um, in the hospital, mm-hmm. that moment between him and, and Nancy Allen, mm-hmm. where they're kind of flirting. Yeah. yeah it's like because she's drugged, you know. She's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, they're uh, it, it's it, it's it, it does a good job of like because I don't think their romance is is outright like you know the 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 focus of the movie right i agree but it's a sweet it's a sweet little like sub you know sub yes. part of the story you know it's the b story i, I, yeah. I guess you'd argue but I, I i love that moment it's just the, the flirting feels really natural and that's i think that's the first time that like love theme comes in it does. Yeah, the musical theme and the score yeah. is great yeah but but because of you know i know we've already kind of touched on the ending but it has like a melancholic nature to, the, the to that love thing. theme yeah it's, it's hinting the entire yeah. time this is a tragic romance right. her, that you're seeing yeah but i but i love it it's a very sweet moment between them and it just it just feels really natural from both of their performance angles and yeah just the way it's written i i, I agree I, I i don't know if i've seen De Palma handle something like that you know prior to this so yeah. not prior yeah. to this no and i don't even know if he fully captures it again later like from again from the movies i've seen feel free to comment and say that i'm wrong um, say so I think everyone. Well, I'll say this: I don't think you've ever, and this might be, this might bring up later. I don't know if you've ever seen. I don't know if this is the best word. As innocent of a person, as 
uh, Sally in in this role and like a DePaul film. Does that make sense? It's yeah, like no, I see what you mean. And she's also playing again, going back to like her casting. She's playing Carrie, a very like that. Well, like no, it, but I mean, yeah. she's playing a very different role than she's playing in Dress to Kill. So yes. it's 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 fascinating. Like because it's a year apart. Yeah, it's fascinating. Like, it really shows her range. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I'm kind of sad that she would didn't have like a you know a bigger yeah, yeah post bigger, this yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but no, but like, because she's playing a, a a similar role in a way. I mean, she's not a prostitute in this. She's yeah, yeah. more like setting up people. But yeah, but it, again, very different personalities. Very different. And the way she plays off Travolta is is great. I agree. Um, yeah. I agree. Especially in this in this moment that I was referring to. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I love just this after having now visited the great city of Philadelphia, um, seeing the locations that like now I like. Oh yeah, I know where that is. Yeah. Well, that's City Hall. Oh, that's Rang Terminal Market. Oh, cool. Because the scene when, when it's the first, again, I like the scene, how you're kind of introducing Lithgow, um, is when he's following the essentially Sally lookalike mm-hmm. uh, in Rang Terminal, and then he ends up killing her uh, at, at, at the bus station, or gets her out of the, from the bus well, stop. He pulls her to that construction site. Pulls her yeah. to the construction site. But I love just kind of the, he's following her in this kind of very public space, and, and the, it's just shot so beautifully yeah. is the thing. And Lithgow has and another a, great sequence because yeah. we don't know who this guy is yet. We don't yet. have no clue who he is yeah. yet, and we actually think, by the looks of it, it's it's uh, Sally. Right, right. And we I love think how Sally plays being, with that. Yeah, Sally, he's always playing with this idea of doubles. Yes. you know, it's a Hitchcockian concept. Yeah, it's the bite. It's yeah. bite double. It's yeah. sisters. I think yeah. it's even femme fatale to some extent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're you're saying it, and then Lithgow just as a whole is. I think is so good in this. Role. I agree. I don't know why people dunk on the. Or I've seen people dunk on this performance. I think I, yeah. I, I have seen it too, yeah. and I I just think as a as an because actor, it's so cold, dude. It's, it's like because so he's distance. he's he's faking being insane. Yes, he, 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 but he's super calculated. Yeah, you know that's what's horrifying. It's about like it. some of the, some of just my favorite parts is like him in the in the phone booth. Yeah, on the phone with people, and oh, like, when he's a college, he's like, they, she made me do it. She made, like he's faking it. <laughs> she made me yeah, do it. and, and, and it's horrifying. And he's dude. saying it, and when he's saying it, what's so what's so eerie? Yeah. Is when some people kind of do that, they'll like change their facial like, right. structure. He's to, not to match with yeah. what how they're actually. Act, act. He's like just doing the voice and almost looking natural mm-hmm. while he's doing it, and that is terrifying. And just and then when he's so when he talks to the guy who eventually has has basically hired him to do the job at right. that moment, he's like, "Well, I took care of him, sir. I did this, this, this." And they go, "That's not we, what we hired." And they're just like, "We vetoed that yeah. idea." He's like, "Well, I took things in my own hands because I felt like it was it was the more it was the best way to go about it." And well, that's what like, I find fascinating about this whole conspiracy mm-hmm. is that it's really just one guy gone rogue. Like, yes, they, they yes. Yeah, like yes, the group was behind the. We'll initial. talk about that more, but yes, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, then I'll, yeah. I'll save that for then. But no, yeah, you can't, yeah. yeah, it's just uh, that's fascinating because I think I think in a way, the Palm is kind of making fun of both conspiracists yeah. and conspirators, right? Well, and yeah. that's the thing that's kind of happening again when talking about these this these paranoid films. Yeah. is that it's post JFK assassination and this being with the kind of idea of the uh um the car wreck into the in the river is very much kind of harking to the Chappaquiddick incident right. with Ted Kennedy. You also um, have the Watergate, of course. Watergate, but also with kind of the pairing of the images and the sound is kind of looking at the Sapruder film from mm-hmm. JFK, which is also a great sequence, by the way, when he's syncing that. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's that when he when he's trying to sync up the audio with the with the photos and kind of how he essentially creates yeah a film with the actual audio. I think it's just fantastic. Um, 
uh, which can kind of lead to one of my favorite scenes, which is that 360 shot. I mean, you can't talk about this movie. I think, I, think, I, think I wrote down so it's the tour de force. The tour de force shot comes in at an hour when Travolta starts playing his tapes and and realizes they've been wiped. They've yeah, been wiped, all of them. And it's just this rotating shot. I think I think De Palmas, the him and Sigmund were like up at the top watching because they couldn't have anyone in the room. Yeah, I mean, how how would you? How yeah, would yeah. you? You're seeing every Unless, inch of the room. Those are like also running with the camera. Yeah. And he said he did that in Carrie where they're running around doing it, but that yeah. thing just couldn't do that because it was, it was, it's the opposite with Carrie. He's running around, it's going around something. Right. Not facing out. Not yeah. facing out. Yeah. It just, it, it, um, it's like, like inward, like everything around right. it's, it's, it's with inward or whatever. Um, it's not going around. It's seeing everything uh, basically. Right. Right. Um, that, that makes sense. Uh, uh, no, no, but, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, I think I think if you look at those two shots, they would. It's like yeah. one's looking outward, one right. looks looking inward. Is right. the thing. Um, but and it kind of the way it speeds up and and the and the the sound of the of the blank tapes is getting louder yeah. and louder and the you have the lady coming in saying like, "Who's been in here today? Oh, some guy. He was." And you're like, <laughs> "What guy? What, what guy? <laughs> I don't like your tone right now. Will you let a guy into his office? What kind of tone? Do you, and all this stuff's gone." And now it's like, and I think what's so funny is like Lithgow, I think, says it before we even see that scene that he's erased all of his tapes. He says, oh, yeah. yeah, I've erased all of his tapes. So he's yeah. like, a little like crackpot. Yeah, yeah. Crackpot. And then the next scene is like him. And it's like, oh, my God. And it's just a great like he starts tearing everything apart yeah. and he's starting to just kind of go into madness, basically, because he can't find the tape. And like, yeah, he has a copy, but like. Now everything is gone. Right. Who has been? And now it's the question of who has been in here, who is following? Because at this point, he doesn't really think. He he, he doesn't know if he's being followed. He doesn't know if he's being followed yet. Right. And now he does. And now he thinks they all are going to think I'm insane, basically. Yeah. But um, no, that, yeah, like you're saying, it's like that adds the stakes of like, oh, now I'm in danger. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Let's see what else do I have. I, I love the. Um, I love. Lithgow playing with the string on his like watch because it's setting up how he's you know how he's gonna how he's gonna use right. it right well I mean he he he'd used it in that you know scene we described where he pulls the girl into the construction but we hadn't seen him we, hadn't seen him actually we didn't know it. that it was on you know connected to on his, his watch, watch yeah which, like, again it just shows how calculative and just like he's just such an evil character man yeah it's 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 terrifying and I think um, at Penn Station's where we're at oh um, when he kills that that girl when he yeah, kills yeah. That that's girl. a brutal scene too I mean yeah because again he's like following her it's it's so sadistic you know and it's like it, but again it's like these people are it like the two girls that he kills are innocent he's only doing this so that when he kills Sally it just makes yeah, it seem it's like such a, a weird thing yeah, it's yeah. such a weird thing where like he's yeah he's basically his way to tie up loose ends. Or, wait, or is the first one an accident? I, I've never understood. No, okay, so I, he pre- I, that was calculated. I think it's calculated. Yeah, I yeah. think, I think, because what, what it. Because that's what he says on the phone. It's like, I'm going to kill these three and I'm call it kill, the Lib, you know. Liberty Bell yeah. murders. Because, yeah. Well, because what happens is he kills the first one and then he sees the image of the Liberty, Liberty Bell celebration. Yeah. And I guess what it's kind of uh, makes you think is that he, he kind of like. He uses an ice pick, I think is what it is. Oh, to stab them, yeah, yeah. To stab yeah, them. Yeah. So the, the thing is, he's probably making some sort of symbol of a liber- Liberty Bell on their body in some way. Oh, interesting. I never thought that's about what that. I gathered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is that he always? That's his calling card. I see. Is the yeah. thing because that's why he, he looks up to the Liberty Bell, right. sees it, yeah, and that's how he gets the name Liberty Bell, kind of killer or whatever. Um, and then, yeah, but the way it's like it, it. It feels almost separate, and some people have criticized it for this. That it feels almost separate. This whole from, subplot or that specific sequence in the, the, in the, the station? those sequences of oh, Lithgow. Oh, yeah. It feels so separate from everything else. But I think I think that's what adds to the kind of tension of it. I think it makes it almost unique. Is that a lot of times with the paranoid political thrillers, 
you don't see the other side of it. Right. And that's what makes this unique with the Palma is that the Palma knows you guys should have to get the, the tension a lot of the time. Or yeah, yeah. It's a way I mean, to get tension, not get, the only way to get tension. It's all out of Hitchcock's books. Like, what yes. do you show the audience? And, you know, Hitchcock was always like, you got to show them, otherwise wait, you wait, you get the moment of shock instead yeah. of this whole 10-minute sequence of suspense, right? I agree. So, um, But, yeah, uh, let's see what else I have. Again, love it the way he does split screens as usual. Yeah, and um, I, that was one thing I, in one of those interviews that I found interesting is he he was talking about why he why he uses split screens and he's like I wanted to show you know different in, in, information at once. So I think yeah. when people misuse split screens, they're just showing like the same thing on both sides of the frame as opposed to like giving you alternate information, yeah. which which you know it's like that's the whole point of you know the whole thought process of editing is like every cut should be new information, right? Yes, I agree. So if you're doing yeah, a split screen, it should, you know, follow that same principle. Yeah. I mean, I love when he was talking to Noah Baumbach, which is just, a, it's a crazy person to find that is such a, uh, a admirer of Brian De Palma. It couldn't be farther from his style, right? Same. <laughs> or even just the kind of movies. Yeah. Know. But De Palma kind of makes a comment talking about, and, it, and it's, and I've never really heard it talking this way. Talking like, Oh yeah. You're like, if you don't have your opening, like if you're just doing like a, a driveway shot of a car pulling in or like a shot of like New York, it just feels like a wasted, mm-hmm a wasted thing and it reminds me a little bit of steve martin he talked this is a very different but similar vein is that he talked about when you walk up to a stand-up special or expand stand-up spot or uh or, or stand-up kind of tight five or whatever is that when your opener if you just say hi thanks for coming tonight i'm steve martin yeah he's like you've wasted right one of the most important moments of your your act yeah because that's and, the that's the one time you have the audience completely captivated yeah, yeah. you can, you can lose them instantly you he's know? like he said one of his favorite things was like he, I love doing like it's so glad to be here and he's like and then I'd move two steps it's so glad to be here <laughs> it's so glad to be here was this from his masterclass yeah masterclass yeah but like I think it's a similar kind of idea is that with the Palma he's like used and why that opening is so good is that. Yeah. Is it have a thought behind it, have an idea behind it? But I think De Palma does that in all, all of his shots sure, yeah. in this movie specifically. It might not be an idea you like, or you might not disagree with it. You might not think it's that strong of an idea, but I think there's always a thought behind his shot selection. Yeah, no, I mean, I think he's movie. always thinking about the audience, like entertaining yeah. the audience. So, yeah. yeah. But I think he's yeah. saying, I think he's saying things as well. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then let's, I guess, getting to get into the. The ending, really, back the, the last twenty minutes yeah. of this film, which is like nonstop suspense. I mean, yeah. like edge edge your seat, like you just you you won't see a better crafted third act than you know than this. I agree. Yeah. And I, I've said things that could make it better. I think it's still a great ending, and just this race against time in a way yeah. where he's he's trying to find her at the station. The way he uses slow motion mm-hmm. and the music. Um, I saw this funny thing on Twitter that, that fi- you know, the famous fireworks shot. Yeah. They were like, oh, because I'd seen this out of context so many times. I thought it was like a really romantic moment. And I'm like, <laughs> when you see that in context, you'll be heartbroken. It's very bleak ending. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, I love the shot immediately following that. I, I mentioned this to you the other night. Because, you know, De Palma loves his cranes. He loves his damn yeah. cranes. But it cranes down and, you know, uh, it's like, I, th- I think it's the first time we see snow in the movie. But, yeah, he's on that bench and the snow in oh, on him. Yeah. And he's just listening to the tape. Gorgeous shot. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, my God. But uh, but I like that moment because it gives you kind of like after this huge suspenseful sequence, it gives mm-hmm. you that kind of moment like, oh, we now you're like you're fully taking in what has just occurred. Yes. Um, and, and not only that, he's haunted by it. You know, he's going to be haunted, haunted by, by it forever. forever. Yeah. It's like it's worse than it was before right. because he had a romantic connection. To yeah, her. He, yeah. He had, he had a love for this person. He yeah. just lost. And he. Like last time. Took action just a little too late yeah. is what kind of, or just he 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 relied on his technology 
and not himself as a person. Like why why did he have to be so far away from her the entire time? Yeah. Why couldn't he find a way to get inside, not just wait in the car or whatever? And that's what's brilliant, I think, too, is like he has that the the, the recorder yeah. that he can hear the whole time, which makes yeah. that that sequence all the more terrifying. Yeah, he's, he's essentially yeah. present but right. not present. Right, he's not the there, and he's trying to find her, and yeah. Uh-huh. And then it and Lith Count again so good and, and and but but that essentially that whole sequence pays off the wiring flashback sure, absolutely. thing and that was the big key is it because that, that flashback feels so if you don't ever pay that off it just feels kind of odd to have it there but it's, it's just backstory it's just backstory in, in case, yeah. and then you don't want flashback just be like backstory you want to have it to somehow influence yeah. the actual story story and I think it does and I think when it gets to the end it's that moment like she's I because. Th- because she's aware that this guy might be fake, right? That's like the whole thing, right? I, th- I think that's why she's being very um, particular about what she says. Like she says, yeah. "Oh, we're going to this stop." Yeah, right? we're going here. She yeah. repeats it yeah. so that she knows. So she knows that he can hear. Yeah, um, but it's that moment he, when when Lithgow like takes his stuff and like throws it like in the water. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's yeah, it's so great with like, with Travolta driving through the city. He drives through City Hall and goes kind of into the department store. Um. And then winds up and running and with the ending of her getting killed by Lithgow and Louis Travolta just getting there just a tad bit yeah, too late. late. He's able, he he kills Lithgow in the process, not realizing what he that he's that Lithgow has killed uh, Sally. Um, I think because I we we did the showing of this at Sideshow Books pre COVID and. I remember like, oh, I don't really love the ending because it just kind of like, because it gets dark or whatever. And I go, I think that's what makes it De Palma's best movie. Because I feel like other movies, he cops out at the end. I, I don't disagree. And I think, I, Body Double is an example yeah. where like. Or even Just to Kill, I'd argue. It's but. like, it's like, it, it's like, give it a little bit of a happy ending. If like Body Double ends with him on, on the film set and he's making the movie yeah. again, he's been cast and Melly Griffith's in his life. It just, and. And and Carrie's different because Carrie has a shock value to the ending. Yeah. But this feels just like a tragic ending yeah. for this character. And that reveal, like you said, when it cuts to her, she's dead it does that the firework fire, shot. Yeah. Firework shot and the rotating around Ooh. and you're the hearing music, the music. I love seeing it. I'm like, this is what makes it his best film. Yeah. Cause he finally says, No, I'm going I'm giving you Yeah everything i got with this movie and that's what it feels like and, and kind of going back to the point earlier it's like they, this feels like a very new hollywood ending yes you know? like they weren't afraid to go bleak <laughs> yeah and like i said we're, we're yeah. not going to see that that much right. afterwards no 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 um and in fact i'm almost surprised that I'm, i don't know if you have information about that that he got away with this ending <laughs> no i don't yeah. think anyone stepped yeah. I, I, oh, wow. i'll say i'll say, there, there's one thing i'll say about that but i don't, I don't think a studio person stepped in and that's kind of hey, shocking change the ending oh. um i think they were they thought it was going to be All successful in. because yeah. travolta and stuff was involved um, but and then, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then of course, you know, he uses that scream, and that scene's great too. He's like, "Oh, look, what a scream!" Because the, the director's all excited; he has no idea. It's it's a good scream. It's, it's t- like, and then that, I think that, not directly, but it asked the question: Is it all worth right. it? No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but uh, that final line, I think, it, it's a good scream from Travolta. Kind of, it, remi- it reminds me of like, "What's the point from the killing?" Or yeah. nobody's perfect from like a hot. It's just like the perfect like yeah. cherry on top line. Or even forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown, which is even you know yeah. in the line with the bleakness of this one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's just like one of those great it's endings. Scream. Yeah. It's a good scream. And like, and it's, like that that shot too, and he spins around. And he's like just smoking the cigarette. It's like yeah. Jesus and Christ, he's sweating. Yeah, and he's just oh man, because he because he's just like he's gonna be haunted by that I'll screen for the rest too. of his life. I think it's Travolta's best performance he ever gave too. 
I, I, I think, didn't Kale agree with you? I, I think Kale yeah, did agree yeah, with yeah, me, yeah, yes, yeah. but she hadn't seen Pulp Fiction yet. But I still think it's his best performance. Yeah, I, I love Pulp. You know I love Pulp Fiction, but I, I don't think his performance is. I mean, he's good in the role. In the he's role, I don't think Pulp he's. Fiction. I don't think it's like a blowout performance, right? I mean, it's a good comeback performance. Yes, I but agree. I don't think it's like a. Oh, this I is think a, there's a big enough ensemble. Yeah. The movie's not fully relied upon him, and he's more of the straight man to kind of Sam Jackson's. Yes, I arc. think Sam Jackson's yeah. the bigger character, yeah. right? His arc, yeah. But I think Travolta in this gives just a yeah. A great performance, and it's a lot of range. He's very yeah. charismatic at times. Yeah. He, and then mm-hmm. we get the paranoia. He's he's fearful, you know. Because I think with Travolta, love it or hate his performances, I think he goes a hundred percent every time. No, like you can tell, he genuinely cares about the craft. And I think I think just sometimes he needs a director who knows how to rein him in, to reel him in, get him back to where he needs to be. Well, my, my mind went to phenomenon for some. And <laughs> when he they, when they do that, it works. Yeah. It's magic. And if people just let him go, you can get some greatness to it, but it can be uneven. Yeah. But I think if he understands the tone of what you're going for, I think he can nail it, is the thing. Yeah. No, but he, I mean, yeah, this is definitely one of his best performances. I agree. What do you want me to do? Just say she wasn't there? I mean, uh, I already told the police. That's already taken care of. All right, what about the girl? I'll talk to her. I'm sure she'll cooperate. So just one playmate just vanishes from McGrine's car just like that? That's right. Oh, Jesus, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> can't, can't you keep your mouth shut? It's better the governor died alone. I just don't know if I can do that. I mean, I was there, she was there, and... Who gives a damn that you were there? You want to tell his wife that he died with his hand up some girl's dress? Or maybe you'd rather she read it in the papers. Well, that is what happened. I mean, that is the truth, isn't it? What difference does that make to you? All right, so on set life. The film began production in November 1980 in Philadelphia, and De Palma, who, as I said, was raised in Philadelphia, said that all the locations they shot at he had been to before growing up in Philadelphia. For the opening scene of the movie, the sorority house sequence, De Palma decided to poke fun at the critics, as I said, who had criticized him for making schlocky movies. And De Palma said they had fun making the sequence because it just kept, it just had them keep going over the top as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they also brought on Garrett Brown, who we mentioned previously on the show, I think during our Kubrick uh, episode. Garrett Brown was the inventor of the Steadicam, and he came on and helped to shoot this kind of sequence because Steadicam was still a very brand new thing. It was the first movie De Palma ever used it used it on, and he would use it. Oh, interesting! Much later, with with maybe not to greater movies, but to great sequences of 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 like uh, Snake Eyes or Bonfire of the Vanities. Um, Have you seen Bonfire of the Vanities? Though? I haven't yet. Yeah, I haven't yet. To prep for the sequence, when when uh, Travolta syncs up his audio with the photographs, Paul Hirsch, the editor, uh, actually taught Travolta how to do that. Oh, Hirsch, cool! Hirsch talks about that in his book uh, a long time ago in a cutting room far, far away. Hirsch, who was a co-editor on Star Wars, what kind of that get that get that title from? Um, but he talked about how Travolta was such a quick study and kind of learned how to sync up audio very quickly. And he basically showed him like how to how he would pick something if he didn't have a slate. He would try to find it this way, and and that's what you're trying to do in that sequence where he's trying to find like when does the car hit the water because you're looking for a loud sound that you can see but also hear. Is yeah, because you don't have, you don't have the clapper. Yeah, don't have the clapper. <laughs> tell you when. Um, so it seems Travolta was also incredibly invested in his character. Besides studying up on things that Jack would do, Travolta would basically give it 100% during the film's finale, actually falling and twisting his ankle 
during the kind of running sequences, oh, requiring wow. De Palma to shoot around this. I also read that, that Travolta developed like insomnia during this movie. You uh, can, I think in because, some shots you can kind of see it. Because he was, he was playing this moody, like, it's almost the Dustin Hoffman marathon thing where he just didn't sleep that much and he was like, wanted to kind of affect his performance. Yeah, but then, uh, then was it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. why don't you just try acting? Yes, that's the, that's the, <laughs> the, the story that has come up, come, our, come up is saying that's what he said. Um, so they shot the car accident scene in a water tank for safety, but even with that, it didn't help Nancy Allen's claustrophobia. Uh, De Palma said he felt, what? yeah, De Palma said he felt horrible for having to put his now wife through this because she was being placed in a sealed up car that would then be filled up with water. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that scares anybody, especially yeah. if you're... And he, he found out later that before they actually put her in there, they had tested several times and it actually like, like kind of like collapsed in or something. And he didn't, he said, I didn't know that when we, when we shot. They told me that afterwards because I, I probably figured I wouldn't do it. Yeah, if you know. Um, if that. Yeah. But they use a stunt, stunt double for certain parts, like for when Sally's swimming out of the car. Um, Alan's, Alan's not in those shots underwater. She's when it comes up out of the water. Um, so it's not she's not in there when it's fully submerged. It's only when it's partially submerged. Right. Um, director of photography Vilmos Sigmund said that he shot seventy percent of the film at night, saying that he shot the film as straight as possible, making sure the light looked a little harsher and not as diffused and softer. For the film's climactic chase scene that ends with Sally, Sigmund and the crew took a full day to light the scene before being able to shoot it. Sigmund also said that they had to light the entire seaport pra- practically, so it was basically just regular lights and not kind of big, huge. Uh, lighting instruments while also having the fireworks in the background. The production for the film would finally wrap in February 1981 after shooting for several months in and around Philadelphia. Now the aftermath. This is where it gets crazy. Yeah, I remember one thing from the interview. So, uh, And Paul Hirsch's book, a long, I said, a long time ago in a cutting room far, far away. Great book, by the way, if you haven't read it, uh, on editing. Uh, Hirsch states the editing of the movie proved, states that editing the movie proved to be problematic. He said there would be a, there was a structural flaw in the script and that, and it was that the villain our film's antagonist didn't imp- appear for about an hour, resulting in the lack of tension in this supposed thriller. This resulted in them moving a lot of scenes around, which resulted in them having to restructure a lot of the movie. He said they would have to take a scene and split it into two using different sections and different parts of the film. Interesting. Because of this, several scenes were cut. Hirsch said that while Brian De Palma initially wanted a movie about a political conspiracy, for the most part, it ends up playing more like a lone assassin movie because of Lithgow's performance and a lot of those scenes being cut. So it sounds like there's more of like the group. There's more group stuff, yeah. and it makes sense because if you watch it, Lithgow's on the phone a lot of different times, and I wonder if they like cut sections of him on the phone and just put it in different moments. Oh, in the I see film what you mean. Yeah, to update you to create like a, almost like a a. a a through line. Yeah. But in reality, it was probably all supposed to be like pretty close together of him yeah. on, on the phone with back and forth, yeah. back and forth. Yeah. That's what I'm gathering. That's what I think might've happened. Interesting. Uh, Hirsch and De Palma would continue to have conflicts about the film's final chase. Hirsch felt that they should be cutting the check earlier as he is rushing to the crowd to find Sally. De Palma wanted it to be later when they ran De Palma's version for the film's producer, George Lito. His one big note was they should cut to Jack earlier during the chase <laughs> resulting in Hirsch going back to his initial cut of the scene. But the worst thing that happened yeah. during the film's production occurred during this process while the film was being, while, or during the editing, while the film was being processed, processed in New York, the studio wanted the negative to be cut in Los Angeles. So once the film was processed um, after it was being shot uh, in the post-production process, it was then shipped to Los Angeles um, after, to, to be cut to, for the negative to be cut. Right. Right. Um, on this occasion, they shipped it out on a Friday 
And what Hirsch says in his book, one of the biggest rules he learned early on was to never ship anything on a Friday because you wouldn't find out until Monday if something went wrong. If you ship out on a Wednesday, you'll find out the next day or the day after. But if you ship out on a Friday, you have until Monday, you basically two days, you don't know what's going on right. with that thing you shipped. Um, and guess what? Something went wrong. It seems that when the film got to Los Angeles, the shipment was missing four cartons of film. Apparently on Friday, when the truck driver was picking up films from Technicolor, he made another stop afterwards, and during that stop, his truck was broken into, and the thieves stole the four cartons of film. When De Palma got the call, he went to where the robbery had happened and started digging, th- digging through the trash, <laughs> hoping they had just thrown it out when they realized what it was. They then re- received another call from L.A. Uh, with some bad news that the cartons of the film they were missing involved the big parade sequence at the end of the movie. Yeah, that's what he said in that, um, I think it was the interview with our cousins. He was like, yeah, it couldn't have been just a random close-up of Nancy Allen. It had to be the, the biggest section, <laughs> yeah. of the, the biggest, the, the most expensive section of the movie. But like, because because it's kind of scary to me. He's like, he still doesn't know what happened. Like, like they, they don't no, know. Nobody does. No. He, his, his theory was like, it was just some kids and they didn't know yep. what it was. So basically... Uh, but like, how horrific, man! He, it's the big parade sequence yeah. when Travolta when drives the jeep to Philadelphia. The FBI was called in. Oh shit! And rewards were posted for the return of the film with no questions asked, but it was never recovered. The sequence would have to be reshot, and it would be covered by the film's insurance policy, resulting in a cost somewhere between five hundred thousand dollars to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to be reshot. Wow! Since I read this, uh, well, it said the sequence was initially shot in the winter, uh, and now they're shooting in the summer, so they had to kind of make the extras wear winter clothes, but I don't know if the movie takes place in the winter. I know it, maybe it does because it has the snow part. It's like, I'm always confused because it has the Liberty Bell thing, which makes me think it's 4th of July, but I don't think it is. It's never clearly said. I mean, I think they would have called it a Fourth of July parade, right? Yeah, but they call it Liberty Bell Parade, oh, yeah. and, they, and and also everyone also assumed it's also the bicentennial, but that would mean it was five years before. Oh, they never say that because the bicentennial is seventy six, so it's just mm. confusion on that. But they could it could have been set in the winter. I think it was because because they're having to make that movie where he uses the scream so quickly. Yeah, it wouldn't be snowing in Philadelphia. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I doubt it. They'd be snowing that hard in Philadelphia in July. Um, <laughs> Uh, director of photography Vilmos Sigmund was unavailable to shoot this sequence, and they would have Laszlo Kovacs shoot the parts that they needed to be that need to be redone. The film would open on July twenty fourth, nineteen eighty one, to positive reviews from critics. Apparently, De Palma wanted it to be a summer release and not a fall release. I think the studio might have wanted it to be a fall release, and he wanted summer was the thing. Interesting. So, um, so released in July of eighty one. Roger Ebert gave it a positive review, giving it four out of four stars and saying it, it was inhabited by a real cinematic intelligence, but it was De Palma's biggest critical supporter, Pauline Kael, who had basically been a big supporter of him throughout his entire career, who gave it a film this glowing review. She says, at 40, Brian De Palma has more than 20 years of movie making behind him, and he has been growing, he has been growing better and better. Each time a new film has opens, everything he has done before seems to have been a preparation for it. With Blowout, starring John Travolta and Nancy Allen, which he wrote and directed, he has made his biggest leap yet. She continues to say, De Palma has been learning how to make every move, move the camera signify just what it wants, just what he wants it to. And now he has that knowledge at his fingertips. The pyrotechnics and the whirly bird camera are no longer saying, look at me. They give the film authority. 
seeing the film is like experiencing the body of De Palma's work and seeing it in a whole new or in a, in a new way. Yeah, her her review is really well written. I, I did like this quote as well because she's kind of like breaking down Jack's. Yeah, um, she says at the end, Jack's feelings of grief and loss suggest that he has learned the limits of technology. It's like mm-hmm. coming out of the cocoon of adolescence. I love that. Yeah, and she really praised Travolta, saying like it's the first time he doesn't seem like a teen who's like strutting and doing a weird right. accent. Um, Saturday night. It's like a di- it's like a dig at him while also praising him. Yeah, that sounds like Polly and Kale to me. Uh, but while the co- top critics were enjoying it, audiences were not. Editor Paul Hirsch recalls when he went to see it in theaters while on vacation, the audience booed at the screen when Jack didn't make it in time to save Sally. He said that he had never seen such an angry response to a film before. <laughs> the response carried through the rest of America, resulting in terrible word of mouth because of the film's bleak ending. Hirsch said he initially, or Hirsch said he actually told De Palma during editing process that he had an idea of where he could sit, have Alan or have Sally survive in the film, but De Palma didn't want that to happen. The film would eventually be deemed a box office failure, making only $13.8 million against its $18 million budget. It also didn't look good because the film studio, the film studio Filmways Pictures had claimed they expected it to make $60 to $80 million at the box office, so a massive failure when looking in, in, the, in those terms. And while De Palma would follow up the film with one of his most popular films, Scarface, Blowout would be the beginning with would be the beginning of a de- de- decline for Travolta and Nancy Allen. Travolta would star in several box office and critical disappointments like two of a kind with Olivia Newton, John and perfect with Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, he would also star in staying alive, the sequel to Saturday night fever. And while it was a financial success, it would be hated by critics. And I think still like a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like it was deemed one Damn. of the worst sequels of all time. Uh, Travolta would also turn down a lot of big roles during this period that could have helped with star power, which included American gigolo, an officer and gentleman, two roles that went to Richard Gere that made him a star, uh, and Splash starring Tom Hanks. Alan, Alan would later, she would star in a few films throughout the 80s, but she wouldn't really hit it big again until 1987 with Robocop. But while Blowout was deemed a failure, it would it's one of the many De Palma works that have continued to grow in popularity. Many cite the main reason to be because of Quentin Tarantino saying it was the movie that made him want to cast John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, and he would consistently list it as one of his favorite movies of all time. Nancy Allen would also state that she believes so many people found the film because Tarantino praised it so much during the 90s and later. People also say cinephiles found it to be a fascinating because of its unique take on the movies-on-movies genre, and it's used as a thriller instead of just a typical industry take. Uh, in 2011, it would be given a Criterion release, which essentially inducted it into the canon of important films for film fans. Uh, and when looking back on the legacy of the film, Brian De Palma said, some of my most controversial movies or even my most unsuccessful at the box office are some of my best. Blowout was a catastrophe when it opened, but everybody constantly talks about it as one of my best movies. And I find it, um, I find it as a movie that I'm really proud of. Did it get decent reviews? Of course, Pauline, or a couple. Pauline liked it and a few other people did. But that was about it, and it died. You've got to remind yourself all the time that you're being measured against the fashions of the day. And if your work truly has any kind of staying power, people will talk, be talking about 20 or 30 years from now. It's beautiful. Yeah. So that leads me to ask the question, David. What worked about this movie? I mean, I, you know, I think it's everything we talked about. It's the style of it. Mm-hmm. The the performances are great. Uh, I think the, the, the script is, is great. Yeah. But now that's interesting to me that it's it was kind of uh, – not not pieced together in the edit, but restructured in the edit. Yeah. Because now that I'm thinking about it, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um. But yeah, you know, but I think I think yeah, because of that restructuring, like this, it's very suspenseful throughout. Yeah. Um. 
And yeah, I mean, I just, like, I think this is everything De Palma, you know, is aiming for in, at this point in his career, and I think he just nails it. It's it's sad that it didn't get the reception in the day, uh, but yeah. Yeah. yeah it, from, it, gen, from general audiences. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, hearing her say that they booed at the screen, I think that is kind of saying it's the end of the new Hollywood era. Because if that's released in like 78, even, I don't think you get booze at the screen. Because mm-hmm. yeah, because you, because when the audience members were going for you know during the new Hollywood, they kind of yeah. expected a bleak you know? bleak ending. Yeah, but eighty one, it's like and and so it's kind of like a closing chapter on the era. And everyone's like, oh, it's like the rise of Star Wars or this or that. But it's it's it is it, when when hearing Campbell talk about it, I I do think it's where where audiences literally said no, we don't want this. Yeah, <laughs> um, we don't want the nice looking nice guy John Travolta crying over the dead body of, of Nancy Allen's character. Right. Um, and it's also like, you know, the 80s is kind of moving into that period of excess, right? Which is yep. his whole, you know, the thing he explores the most is Scarface. Yeah, Scarface, right? yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it, it feels like, a, yeah, it feels just like a, a weird, it's a, a transition movie. A transition period uh, uh, and, and a chapter closing, a chapter ending yeah. on a specific moment in time. Um, I agree with everything said. Visually, I think it's phenomenal. Um, I think it's his best film and how he, and how he puts all the pieces together. Um, I think if you're looking at the Palma film and you want to kind of get a taste of who he is and grants, he might start the best film first. This is kind of the best example of it because it, it feels like I won't say it's the most personal film of him of his i know he has he has a very interesting kind of backstory that kind of has connections to this it feels like yeah yeah i think it is personal in a way yeah. right? but, but i think i heard bomb back kind of when we interviewed him talking about how like a lot of the times it's locations you pick that could be mm. personal because you're you're showcasing a part that you understand more than anyone else um and by picking philadelphia it kind of says that yeah and it's, it's also rare that we kind of see philadelphia in, yeah. yeah and this way spe- yeah. i mean it's not national treasure yeah, but yeah. um but yeah it's like yeah because when he's running when he's running from when he gets out of the ambulance at the end, he's running from Independence Hall, which is where he's at. So he's right outside Independence Hall, but you can't fully see it. Uh, uh, and he's running to the seaport to 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 find her. Um, but no, it's very much like it feels personal, not just because of that, because of who else involves it. All the main characters are people he's worked with before, or main actors are people he's worked with before. If it's Alan, if it's Travolta, or Franz, or Lithgow, and then everyone behind the camera kind of in a major role is someone he's worked with before. So it feels like, but they're not, they haven't all worked in the same film together. Sure. If that makes sense. It's like, it's like combining everything together. And why it almost feels like, again, kind of the ending of a specific period in his career. Cause after this, you have Scarface and kind of the more mainstream things. It feels like uh, untouchables and mission yeah. impossible a decade later. Um, but yeah, it just feels like an ending point yeah. for them. And I also think Jack is kind of a, uh in a way he's an autobiographical character because he even yeah. has that moment where he talks about like, Oh, you know, when I was in, I was more into radios and, and stuff yeah. like that. And that's kind of, that was what the Palma's whole thing when he yeah. was younger, he was like into technology and stuff. Technology. Yes. So I, I think, but, but in this, in Jack almost feels like, um, a grown up version of the kid from dressed to kill in a way. Yes. You know? Um, and I think Kale even said it, how like it feels to like, you've seen these characters all before in the Palma movie, but he's finally mastered how to showcase them. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, not in those exact words, but that's yeah. what I'm taking. No, 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 yeah, no, that's interesting. It's no. like Point. if you have Nancy Allen, she's, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not the prostitute and dress to kill, but it's not far off of like what the kind of, how I put this, how they, how she's used, that she's seen something that shouldn't have been seen. Right. Is the thing. Um, yeah. So did anything not work about uh, this movie? No, not for me. 
<laughs> I think okay. I, I think I think when I uh, I think having seen it multiple times now, I I, I, uh, I I'm just kind of shocked by how how much I'm still able to be on the edge of my seat. You yeah. know, even though I know the ending a mile away, I, I think you know it's just it's kind of mine. It's, that that to me is a, is a sign of a great thriller because a lot of thrillers, you know, once you know the ending, it kind of destroys that the, the suspense. Yeah. But because of the way that they they've crafted these these sequences. Uh, I think you can just throw a, throw a sequence on and be, mm-hmm. you know. But it, it, it's not just blowout too. It's like all of his films. Like I just watched the Just to Kill, you know, museum mm-hmm. sequence. That's that's not even like a. She's not even in peril. It's yeah. just a great, you know, yeah. the way he's crafted. It's just a great sequence. De- the, the steps and the untouchables. Yeah, worth I'm a, no, yeah. Steps. I, just, yeah. I mean that's great. Yeah. Uh, I love the escalator shootout in Carlito's Way, which isn't talk, yeah. talked about much. But yeah, I mean, yeah. But anyways, yeah, it's like. I think his movies. It's same with like Hitchcock, right? Like I can watch a Hitchcock movie over over and over again because of the way he crafts his, his sequences. You know, I, even agree. Though I know the end, ending of Psycho. All those sequences are just so damn well crafted. Um, but yeah, um, so so I don't have any personal uh, nitpicks or or, or uh, grievances. Okay, so I ha- I think I have two. Um, I kind of like May Hirsch's idea of having more sounds at the end. Um, I also think it's just a weird. It's it feels like a weird hard cut. After she after she's killed and he's kind of holding her, it like cuts to black with the music, and then it just comes right back up to the snow the the the, 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 snow, crane, the, the, crane, the, shot, the crane shot. And I wonder, I was like, could we just have like transitioned to that? Like it felt weird to go cut to black and then automatically just come back up with the same music. And I was like, I just feel again very nitpicky. Um, there are moments where I think. Nancy Allen is written to be too innocent. Mm. I think she's someone as a character who's seen a lot and done and gone through a lot, but I feel like sometimes she comes off as like too childlike, if that makes sense. That was my view early on, at least. I don't think I don't think as much later. But Are you referring to kind of like her not picking up that Manny? Is like involved, you know what I mean? Things like that. Yeah, okay. I feel like she would be aware that Man- Manny's a crook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I mean, I think you know, the naivety is an aspect of her character, right? Yes. Um, but no, I, I see what you mean. And I think I just feel like she's seen enough with how, especially how specifically how men can be, um, that she would be so trusting of someone like Manny is the thing. But there's just certain moments that I feel like she. It, it's just too it's and i think she gives a great performance for the most part and i'm not i'm not saying it's really her performance i think it's just sometimes the writing is that she would be more aware of certain things i feel like mm. than what she's aware of in moments that's my nitpick that's like the the biggest nitpick i have um and besides those two things that's all i have yeah so um all right film facts very briefly um well one thing it's not really a film fact but i found it funny that her, their names are jack and sally which i believe are the characters in nightmare before christmas Oh yeah, Jack Skellington. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right. Um, but film facts. Um, in the 2019 film Joker, oh god, the film title appears in the list of two movies being played in the movie theater that the Wayne family is leaving during the like the kind of yeah. like Joker riot. It's a it's Zorro. It's it's that this and Zorro the Gay Blade is what it is. I feel like they might have saw this movie. Is the thing. I feel like the Wayne family saw Blowout instead. Um. At one point, Dennis Franz is actually watching De Palma's earlier film, Murder a la Mode, on television oh, really? when he's in the, like, the hotel. Is uh, that or, out of copyright or something? Well, I guess he just owned the rights yeah. or something. Oh, yeah, Originally, yeah. 
De Palma wanted, wanted France to be watching Francis Ford Coppola's film Dementia 13, which is produced by Roger Corman. But Corman demanded too much for the rights of it to be shown. And so De Palma said, I'll just show my film instead. Wow. So good for him. Uh, that's all the film facts I have. Um, awards. The Beatrice Strait Award actor, actress, Lynn scenes that kills it. So Lithgow's in too many, right? I think Lithgow's in too many. Okay. Then I, I would probably... N- I don't think Dennis Franz is. I was about to say, that's who I would nominate because... I'm tr- But I was trying to think how many scenes he's in. Because I know there's that... So yeah, he's... He's on the news clipping, yeah. like the news video. And bam, they go with the railing. Yeah. <laughs> Catch him going with the railing. Uh, there's a scene between Nancy and him. There's, I think there's two yeah. or three in the hotel. Yeah. I don't think there's that much else, though. Okay. Then, yeah, I mean, that's who I would nominate. I'll go Dennis yeah. France. Yeah, I think... I he's think playing he's a real sleazebag. He's a sleazy guy. He's a very sleazy guy in this movie. Uh, I think he does it well. How did I end up in that car <clears throat> in the bottom of the creek? Well, listen, what do you think? I mean, uh, the guy's driving along, and all of a sudden, there's has a blowout. It wasn't a blowout, Manny. Somebody shot out the tire. Oh, what the hell are you talking about, huh? How do you know that? I know, I know. I just know. Now, who was it? It was nobody. Come on, Manny. Just level with me. <sighs> All right, this, uh, this nut, he, he calls me a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he says he's working for some candidate. Some, uh, some candidate that's interested in getting McRyan out of the race, huh? Sounds like a normal Joe, right? He says he's heard all about our fine divorce work and he offers me six grand. Six? You told me three. Yeah, well, uh, three before and, and three after. So when were you going to tell me about the three after? After I collected it. What do you think? All right, the Annie Potts X Factor Award Supporting Actor or Actress is the most memorable. This is hard because I, 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 I don't want to, like, it's a hard decision between Lithgow and Nancy Allen, in my opinion. Um, but I think Lith- Lithgow being like the thread of the movie puts him a little above for me. If that makes I, sense. I think Alan's more of a lead. Oh, okay. You would argue she's more. Than, I, yeah, she's I, in more. I, yeah, I how would many argue scenes she's would more you, of a lead? How many scenes would you cut it off at? Because I just think she it's more of like a two hander. I think for a bit it goes it goes yeah. for a little bit where I think it's kind of a two hander. I think. I mean, well, then that makes it easy. Then we'll, we'll, we'll let's go. Okay. <laughs> the thing I think Lithgow, while still connected to the plot, I think he's so separate from them. Mm-hmm. Is the thing. So I would argue because again, it's he doesn't he still doesn't pop up till very late in the yeah. movie, and when he does, but like, I I like that I like that I like aspect that about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, or or the it's that they they kind of they take their time revealing him. Yeah, say he comes in late, but they take their time revealing him as the thing. Right. Um, I yeah, I think he's great. I think Lithgow's great in this because it's just so different. I mean. He, he, I think he's underrated that they don't realize how great of a range Lithgow has as an actor. And like, I know he would later do it kind of in Dexter. Yeah, that's um, a role, man. Um, but he, he's like before this, like it's like 81. So I think right after this, he's doing around this time. He's doing well, according to Garp, I know. And doing terms of endearment, which are two vastly different performances compared to this. Like, yeah. I think he's, he's warm in both those other two movies. Like, it's just, I think he's really great in those other two films. And this film, he's cold and distant. Um, so, yeah. But Lithgow, any pots? You were supposed to get some pictures of McGrath, not kill him. I understood the objectives of the operation. I never concurred with them. But I didn't kill him. It was an accident. You accidentally shot out the tire of his car? As you may recall, this was my initial plan, as proposed at our meeting of June the 6th. 
We rejected that plan. Don't you remember? Of course, I do admit I had to exceed the parameters of my authority somewhat, but I always stayed within an acceptable margin of error. After all, the objective was achieved. He was eliminated from the election. Burke, I don't know you. I've never seen you. Don't ever call me again. Just a minute, sir. We got some loose ends. I changed the tire, made it look like a blowout. I erased the sound guy's tape so everybody will think he's a crackpot. Carp's disappeared, but I'll find him. But that still leaves the girl. I've decided to terminate her and make it look like one of a series of sex killings in the area. This would completely secure our operation. What operation? The Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. I'm... While I love John Travolta in this movie, it's De Palma. It's De Palma. Um, because I, th- well, I think it's just De Palma, love it or hate it. And this is the thing with Hitchcock to with this compare. I think why it's the comparison people always go to is that his style is so distinct that it's very hard to overpower him in a movie. And while I think that, like, because I think someone kind of commented, like, why Blowout really works so well is that for the first time since maybe K- Sissy Spacek and Carrie, the actors don't feel like a piece that right. Palma's moving around. No, it's a very character focused movie. I feel yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and also, like, like we, we've been referencing, like, he uses this, like, the split diopters, and, you know, it, it's not just there for style's sake. Like, it has yeah. a story purpose. So I, I agree. I think, yeah. Um, He's not. He's not. He's not necessarily. Sh- I mean, he is showing off, and and he should. Sure. He, if you if you if you have the goods, if you show off. But he's also again. He's there's motivation behind it. It's not solely for the sake of being like, hey, look how great of a you know how great I can shoot a scene. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think for this time, it's like as Kale is saying. I think yeah. it's the first time he's fully mastered this genre yeah. of how to kind of tell a story visually and make it really vis- visually interesting and not just to be cool. It feels like. What are you doing here? You you listening to some music? Mm. Nope. This is my, uh, this is my job. I do sound effects for movies. Oh, movies, huh? Matter of fact, last night I was, I was out recording some sounds. What do you mean, sound I, effects? Well, you know, when you see a movie and you hear a door slam or a bird chirp or wind or whatever, you know, I record those actual sounds and then I put them in a movie and then you see the movie. Oh. Last night. Big I, movies? No. Just, uh, just bad ones, oh. unfortunately. I really love movies, you know? It's, it's a very interesting subject to me because, uh, because I do makeup. Do you? Yeah. I mean, right now it's only behind the counter Corvettes, but I have this dream about doing makeup for movies. I mean, like, I've seen these big movie stars like Barbara Streisand, you know? They don't do her right. No. I know how to fix her face. Really? Yeah. All right, final questions. If you're tasked with making a modern remake of Blowout, who would you cast in this movie? Interesting. Who would be a good lead? Who's a good Johnny T? Because so, they'd have to, you know, are we still keeping them around like late 20s? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I was going to say, you know who they would cast. Who would they cast? Uh, Timothy Chalamet, because he's in everything. Nah, nah he, he's, he's in, in everything. everything. This isn't him. Hold on. I mean, I wouldn't want him in this role, but he's in everything. No That's offense to Timmy. Yeah. yeah. Um... I won't, I won't say that. I don't know if I'll say that. I mean, we could do Austin Butler. I was going to say Austin <laughs> Butler. That's why I said, oh, man. It was funny. We were both Googling when, that this when simultaneously. I, when I was looking, I was like, yeah. I saw the elves. I go, mm, maybe. Yeah. 
And then I was like, nah, I won't say that. And then you said it. So I think he's up there. Cool I, think, awesome. I think he would be interesting for, 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 but who for would Jack. Be, who would be uh, Nancy? Amanda Seyfried? I can see that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can definitely see uh, Amanda Seyfried. I like her in that. Yeah. I think, yeah, so Austin Butler, Amanda Seyfried. And the, who who's gonna be who's, Burke? Who's your who's your who yeah, who's your Burke? Who's your who's your Dennis France? Who's your Manny? Um Let's see how old how old is Luis Guzman? Luis Guzman could be a fun Manny. I could definitely see that. Luis Guzman would be a fun Manny. So uh it came out in eighty one, right? So so he he he'd be was like thirty six ish. He he's a very much older character, but I think I don't know. Yeah, Guzman. I, I'm all in. But I think I think he'd be really great. But um, for Burke, yeah, in that role. I don't. I don't know. Also, Guzman's also in uh, Carlito's way. Um, so he's where he he would have. I don't know if the Palma's still directing this the, this remake, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has been in the Palma movie. Um, yeah. Who, who, but who's gonna play Burke? I'm gonna toss out a, a wild name. Okay, Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> I mean, as I would be fascinated to see him take on this role. I, I don't think it I'm might not, be insane. I might it, it might be a random. It might be too random for people. I totally get it. But I mean, he had, the thing is, he has range. But I, I just never he seen has him do, great range. I just never seen him do anything like this. I think of like this. It's the scene in like Sweeney Todd when he switches from. Being Pirelli, the kind of over like this big over the top Italian, to being like a like a kind of a a, a very like gangster like mm. like London Londoner, um, it's 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 an idea, it's an yeah, idea. I'm, I'm cool with it. Let's do it. Tell me if you hate Sasha Baron Cohen people. I'll, I'll, I'll no, 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 no. I'm fast. I got the, was still kind of like noodling it, but I'm I'm going I'm off the wall, David. I'm going I'm, off the I'm wall. Fascinated here. by this, uh, like the the. Uh, Possibilities yeah, yeah. Of, of that. Um, all right. Does this film fit with any other genres? Uh, because I don't think he, I mean, I don't think like it's outright pitched as a political thriller. So obviously, you know, a paranoid political thriller. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's in the political, yeah. political thriller, conspiracy thriller. Um, I mean, arc, I mean, it's also kind of a serial killer movie in a way um, with yeah. Liscal because and they always say that like, he was very much influenced by Giallo. So yeah, because I would say that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, the Lith- way the murders are. Yeah, Liscal, Liscal, like, just is like you know, I'm gonna. Oh yeah, I'm not really actually like, being a serial killer. I'm just doing it to like to cover, cover up. up this thing, <laughs> which like in turn makes you a serial killer. It feels like it's just so like I like oh no no, no I'm just it's a couple sex right. crimes. Yeah yeah, I'm just covering up. I'm just doing a few kills. To get the world I want, and I'm just like, so you were a serial killer, <laughs> but not. Yeah, it's kind of like investigative movie, maybe. Like, um, it's it's not like a murder mystery because it's pretty. I mean, it's yeah. it's never directly said like who's behind it all, but it just kind of. Well, no, it does. It is. It's just kind of like it's it's basically his the people who he's running against they're right. just they want they want to get rid of him and but not 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 no not they, make I have, him sleep with the fishes they, they just want they want yeah. him to be fan like basically they have a car wreck a and, and he's yeah. found with a woman that's yeah. not his wife that's how right. they wanted yeah. and it ends up being like now nah, i killed him yeah oh yeah yeah i saw i took that on my own sir yeah <laughs> we vetoed that we vetoed that oh yeah, yeah, yeah i know but i did this i did it myself <laughs> um but yeah plug a thriller conspiracy thriller 
serial killer investigative movie. Um, and that leads to the last question. How does this film fit with the movies on movies genre? Oh, I mean, I think obviously the protagonist being uh, involved in the in the post process. Yes. Um, but also this, you know, the aspect of voyeurism, I think, you know, plays into thematically the, the idea of, of a movie on movie, right? Yes. Um, it again, yeah, as the idea is, is it all worth it in the end is, is where this person in my life that was very important for a, while a brief time has now, I've now used her in a low blood brow horror film. Yeah. And that would I've, probably be on TV now. I've used her, I've used her death to be immortalized as a naked woman being stabbed in a shower. Yeah. That is, that is bleak. <laughs> And that says, was it worth it? Yeah. Like, just to get a good scream and your mental health and, and basically your life, like... Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, what happens, you know, you ask that question, what happens to his character after? He's just going to keep making these schlocky yeah. me- and he's going to kind of put himself like in how, that. Again, in how, the, he, he's yeah. now fully in it, is, right. is that he's he will go so far as to use this... Yeah. To solve this small of an issue, yeah, and the implication of that is kind of terrifying. Of like just what that happens to to Jake's character, yeah. uh, or, or uh, Jack. Jack. Jack, Jack yeah. I said I said Jake. Jack's character. Um. So yeah, is that an blowout? That's it for me, man. All right. I hope you De Palma fans. I hope you guys are De Palma fans out there. I hope you all are De Palma fans out there. If you're not, I hope you understand it more. Um, cause I've, I've grown to appreciate him as time has gone on and I hope other people do as well. Um, uh, for the Patreon this month, we've been talking or recently we've talked about our favorite films of the past year, 2022, Dave and Thomas and I are, 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 are it's a trio episode. So listen to that. We talk about our favorite, ten, our top 10 films. It's a variety of films. Some are kind of the same, but you can listen to us talk about that and talk about kind of uh, what we enjoyed last year. Um, and be sure to kind of subscribe to our Patreon if you can. That helps us with this show and helps us keep the show going. I know David and I are going to be on there again this month kind of talking about some other movies on movies, so stay tuned for that. Um, again, $1, $5, $10. You put, everything you send to us helps make the show, and we are so, so thankful for everyone who is involved in kind of putting this together for us. So thank you so much. Um, that's all we have for this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us at sendationpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, or even kind words. Also, if you're a new listener to the show or a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us, be sure to subscribe to the Sendation Podcast to stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Uh, these reviews kind of help you help our, our, our audience grow, helps people see us more and hopefully gain more exposure. So if you can write us a review, say it's a great show, say us how much you love the Palm, or say us how much you hate the Palm. Whatever you want to say, bring up our criticism about we talk, how we talked about the Palm. I don't care. We'll read it. Um, and finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and TikTok. David, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, man. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.